You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, this is Sarah, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, the podcast where we talk with inspiring guests who have challenged their own limiting labels and beliefs to pursue and accomplish personal and professional goals. Our guest today is Leah Hadley. Um, Leah is the founder and CEO of Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions, where she is on a mission to provide women compassionate financial guidance before during and after a divorce to help them secure financial competence and independence. And both of those, the competence and independence are powerful things to learn about. So I'm really excited to talk to Leah today and and pull from her, her expertise. But, you know, Leah has faced many of her own financial challenges throughout her adult life. She became a single parent of three overnight. She got divorced and then started building her business from the ground up. Those are just to name a few of the challenges, but that's a lot of quick change. And those were times when her ability to hunt down appropriate resources and careful financial planning were critical to her peace of mind. Leah is a nationally recognized financial empowerment expert, a former investment analyst, and a sought after speaker, an award-winning financial planner. Leah is also the founder of Great Lakes Investments management, and an accredited financial counselor. Well, Leah, where have you been? Um, She's a certified divorce financial analyst and a mediator, which seems appropriate considering all those things going together. She uses her knowledge and more than 15 years of experience to help her clients make wise financial decisions. She's based in Ohio. She is actively involved in her community, and she serves as the director of corporate Partnerships for the National Association of Women Business Owners. That's a mouthful. The Cleveland chapter. And in her spare time, you'll find her, her three kids, her three dogs in the Cleveland Metro Parks. With that, let me welcome today's guest, Leah Hadley. Hey, Leah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, as I mentioned to you in our pre chat, mic check, all that stuff. I've been excited about talking about you because you have your own little niche there with women and finances. And, um, you know, I think oftentimes we can just do a broad brushstrokes, aren't finances, finances, but we've got a whole psychology behind women and their finances. But before I let you get into that, can you tell us a little bit about your own background and how you got from a classroom to finance? (laughs) Yes, it was not a straight shot. (laughs) Um, So I have my undergraduate degree is in sociology, my master's degree is in education. um, And I taught third grade in Baltimore City Public Schools. Um, And honestly, I was swimming in student loan debt at the time and was completely burnt out in the classroom. I was in a very tough school there. Um, And I needed a job and I needed a job quickly because I had student loans that I was responsible for paying. Um, And so I took a temp job. Um, It was a temp job. It was an administrative assistant role at an investment bank. 
Um, and the first day that I walked into that um, investment bank, I didn't know what a balance sheet was. I felt like everybody around me was speaking a foreign language. I didn't understand literally what they were communicating to one another about, you know, about stocks, about bonds, about these, you know, big deals, the um, mergers and acquisitions that were, you know, I just none of it um, was familiar to me. Um, and I share that story with clients sometimes because I know that a lot of times if you're not familiar with financial planning, with investment management, with financial decision making, when you start to have those conversations, there's a lot of vocabulary that just feels very unfamiliar. Um, and that's completely normal if that's not a conversation that you've been a part of in the past. And so um, it, I remember it very well because it was, I was a fish out of water, um, but I was very fortunate in that in the um, firm that I was at, I got hired on full-time just after a few weeks. Um, and I was still in that administrative role but I had these wonderful, wonderful mentors uh, in the uh, department. I worked in the equity research department. It was at a time, you know, this is dating me a little bit, but they were automating their publication system at the time. Um, and so, you know, all of that's automated these days. But at that time, they were working with software developers on how to actually automate that process. And so I was literally the go-between, like giving information to the software developers and sharing it back and forth. Um, but I would pick up on things. I would see kind of patterns or like something that appeared to be an error and, you know, just bring things up to the folks that I worked with. Um, and they noticed very quickly that like I had an eye for detail and I was really paying attention to these things. Um, and they started to allow me to have different responsibilities and, you know, try on different hats within the department. Um, I did a ton of reading on the side because it did not feel comfortable to me to be going to work every day and not know what people were talking about. Um, so I did a ton of reading on my own, but I also started studying for all the different licensing exams that are required to become a publishing research analyst. Um, and within two and a half years being in that investment bank, I had my name on research. So it was a total turnaround from teaching third graders for sure. Um, but it it really was fascinating to me about, you know, how people made investment decisions, how people built wealth. Um, and I I got an opportunity to learn a lot in a very short period of time. Well, okay. There's a number of questions simultaneously popping up in my head. But when you learned about how people build wealth, what surprised you about that from what prior to learning the lingo and growing your own knowledge base? What was the difference between that and what you assumed it was? This is a great question. And I would say what surprised me more than when I was in the investment bank, because specifically in that environment, you have mostly wealthy people who are building more wealth, right? Um, but when I started working with individuals, which was um, quite a bit later, what I found very quickly was it wasn't about whether or not somebody made a lot of money. Um, what I found was there are a lot of people who have built wealth just through very consistent action. Spending below the amount they bring in, doesn't matter what that number is, but consistently spending below their means and just investing very consistently over the years. Um, and I've worked with lots of people over the years at this point who have a modest income, who have grown substantial wealth because of literally just that starting early, staying invested and consistently adding to those investments. I think I was in my 30s, early 30s. And the concept of like investing, I'm thinking, holy moly, I just finally am where I could buy a house, right? I'm thinking, what? <laughs> And this gal says, look, just take 10% off the top. You're not going to notice it. Guarantee. Mm -hmm. You will not notice that you're not getting that 10%. Yeah. 
And sure enough, you don't notice because you're right. paying this, you're paying that, and you just go, okay, this is what I can spend, but that's gone off the top. So you're not even right. looking at it. Um, and then when I would get increases in salary or wages, it's like, okay, I'm not spending that, right? I'm already living at this right. level. So, but that kind of counsel, it is a mind shift mm-hmm. to think you don't have to consume everything. You know, put some aside. Um, So tell me how you define success in your work. Yeah. So the reason that I ended up starting my own business, and I wasn't somebody who grew up thinking that I was going to be an entrepreneur, you know, start my own business. And, you know, even when I initially became a financial advisor, I really wanted to work for somebody else. I mean, it really was not like I, you know, I have kids and I just wanted the structure and um, have, you know, someplace to go where I had people I can lean on and that kind of a thing. Um, but what I found when I was working for other firms was that I couldn't support people in the way that I wanted to, because when you're with a large broker dealer, there's so many compliance regulations. There's a way of doing business. There's a certain way of doing things. Um, and for me, it was really important to me that I was able to serve people in a way that felt very much in alignment with, of course, what they needed, but also feeling in integrity with myself and what I was doing. Um, And that was really difficult to do uh, in the bigger firms. And so for me, success is having the flexibility, of course, my family always comes first. So it's always, you know, being available for the kids and, and being, you know, doing what I can as far as that goes, having that flexibility, but it's also doing business the way that I feel good about doing business and really being able to support people in a difficult time. You know, I I do a lot of work with people going through a divorce, but I also do a lot of work with people who have lost lost a loved one, who have lost a job, you know, Um, and all of those life transitions where we're feeling really vulnerable. um, It's very humbling to have somebody reach out to you the day that they lost their job to know that, hey, I can count on you. And this is, you know, like, let's talk about how do I handle this, right? Um, And so that to me, when I get those calls, when I know I'm one of those first people that somebody's going to reach out to, to me, that is just like, I have, I've, I've made it like that's success. Well, that's a high level of trust. And that is a really vulnerable time. The other thing is like, when you open up your finances, whether it's a checkbook or your pocketbook doesn't matter when you open them up it feels vulnerable absolutely it's like having someone come in your house and go oh i can't believe i left that out (laughs) (laughs) only with your finances there's no closet you can all cram it into right (laughs) it's there it's it's real when you look at it so so leah um let's talk a little bit about the, some of the assumptions people make about who this kind of work you do. Let's say it's not someone right in crisis, maybe someone who's coming out of it a little bit, but but they're saying, well, I don't have enough this or that. What can they expect? Like I call you and I sit down with you. What's that experience going to be like for me? Or for someone with your style and approach? Yeah, it's a great question. And it really does get tailored to the needs of the person who's reaching out to me. And that's really the first conversation that we have is getting clear on why are you reaching out now? What's the impetus behind that? So number one, we can make sure that we can, in fact, serve you the way that you need support, um, but also helps us figure out, you know, what is going to be the most appropriate solution. 
When we're engaged with a client, we always start every engagement with a focus on getting to know you, getting to know what your goals are, what your priorities are, what you're most worried about. And I really like to start there before I even look at one number, because I don't want to make assumptions about who you are. You know, you're just talking about there's no closet, right? So, um, you know, we're looking through all of those numbers. I don't want to build this idea of who you are before I've had a chance to really talk to you and get to know you. Um, then once we've had that conversation, then we go into the numbers. So we're doing it with the appropriate context. What are some of the misconceptions people have? And, when I, and I'm actually thinking about women, since that's kind of your forte and where you've really drilled down your focus. What are some of the misconceptions women have about either their finances, working with someone like you, or even having control over their income? Yeah, these are so many great questions there. So to start with, working with a financial advisor or a financial planner, there's a lot of confusion about what that means and what that role is. Um, and so, you know, sometimes like, for example, somebody will have an investment account at a large uh, financial institution and they feel like they have a financial advisor. Well, they may have somebody who sells them investments, um, but isn't necessarily talking with them about what, how does this fit in with your long-term goals, right? Like really getting clear on who they are, what the investment objective should be, um, and whether or not this particular investment makes sense for them. Um, and so the role of financial advisor, financial planner, it's helpful to know that that title is used for a lot of different folks. And so it's important to have conversations and find out how does this person work with me? And is it the kind of support that I'm looking for? Or is it, you know, I just have an account and I'm calling into a call center and I'm not necessarily getting that individualized guidance that is about my specific goals and my specific needs, right? The other piece is a lot of times people assume that they're going to have to make their own um, investment selection or they're going to have to um, commit to like, I'm going to call you and Sarah, I'm going to sell you an investment. Well, that's not how we operate. We don't sell anything at all. Um, we specifically sit down and talk with people about what they need in their life, creating that plan, and they may manage their investments, we may manage their investments, but either way, it's not going to be like an individual mutual fund that I'm talking to you about. We might manage the portfolio for you, but it's not necessarily putting that pressure on you. Um, you have to know all of these things and be able to make this decision which I think for a lot of people who don't want that responsibility, that's very comforting to know like, hey, there are different kinds of advisors and some of them will handle that for me, right? But the other piece that I really wanna dig into that you mentioned was about income. Because a lot of times, especially when people are exiting a marriage, there's a lot of stress and focus around income. Most people are going from one household to two households on the same level of income whether that was a single income or, you know, both people were earning, you know, whatever that looks like, generally there's not a significant change in income, but there's a significant increase in expense when people do terminate a marriage, right? Um, and so that puts a lot of emphasis and pressure on the income coming in. And a lot of times, especially, you know, I work with a lot of women who've been out of the workforce for a long time, or they might not be uh, working full-time, maybe they've been part-time, or maybe they're not even using the professional skills that they have because, you know, they maybe just wanted something that was going to fit around their kid's schedule or something like that, right? Um, and so a lot of times 
people have this concept that their income is very limited based on their circumstances. So if I tell you, well, I'm only going to be able to work 20 hours a week, um, you know, the only place that I'm going to be able to do that is to go get a job in retail where they can, you know, give me that flexibility or in a restaurant where they can give me that flexibility. Well, actually, and I talked to some of my business owner friends about this as well. I love hiring women who are focused on uh, other things in their life that, you know, are focused on family and, and this and that. But when they work, they want to work. Um, and so for, for our business, we have several uh, women who still have their children who are growing up, but work for us part time um, and then are able to earn a lot more than they would at your average part time job. Right. But that's just specifically around employment. There's so many ways to grow your income. You know, a lot of times when somebody's coming out of a divorce and we're working with them, we might be looking at repositioning their assets to generate more income. Um, so maybe where they were very much focused on growing their assets in the past, but now they need to supplement their income, we can look at, okay, strategically, how can we restructure things so that way you're getting the income that you need off of your investments or you know, if there's rental properties or whatever that might look like, right? Um, but there's so many different ways to really take the driver's seat in that conversation, whether it's investing in your skills and training to be able to, you know, either start your own business or to, you know, get into a different kind of job that pays better, or literally just repositioning the money that you have and the assets that you have to generate greater income for yourself. There's just a lot of different ways to do it. And so many people just have this very finite view of what the options are when it comes to generating income for myself. Well, and especially if you only know one thing. Right. Right. So if you, I mean, if your family has a certain way of doing things, that's probably what you're most familiar with. Unless like yourself, right? You had an opportunity to be in a different environment with different people and, and do, you know, just different ways of learning like right. those other ways. I might not know how to do the other ways, but I know they're out there. Right. right. Mm -hmm. So, which is one of the reasons why I'm so glad you're on the podcast. Um, because I recall clearly when I didn't think I could afford a house and one woman said to me, she goes, let me just talk to you for a couple of minutes, right? Mortgage broker. And she said, just answer these couple of questions for me. She goes, you can afford a house. And in fact, give me 20 minutes. And I'll tell you what the mortgage you can afford is. This was when I was like in my early thirties. And I walked out of there with all of a sudden I thought, even though I didn't have the little bit of down I would need, uh -huh. I went, oh, I'm a homeowner. <laughs> honestly because it, so it's like you, for me with you it'd be like whoa i'm managing my wealth whatever my wealth is ten dollars ten thousand whatever right but i'm right engaged in it so it's that mindset shift of i'm not what somebody assigned to me or i assumed right mm -hmm. assumed um there's more but we have to be willing to reach out and ask for it Absolutely. And that's such an important point that you brought up of how we're raised and what we experience is, you know, what we see as possible, right? Um, and if you don't see that there are other opportunities to increase your skills, to, you know, change the way you're generating wealth and all of these different things. But there are also a lot of, you know, not just seeing the people around you, but hearing the way people talk about money when you're growing up, or, you know, if you're married, talking about it with your partner that really impacts the way we think about money as well. Um, and so I do a lot of work with clients who are struggling with some of these things around 
well, where did the story originate from? Because, you know, from what I'm looking at right now, it's not true. You know, whatever that story is, like you are very capable of managing your money. You know, you're going to be just fine financially looking at these different things. But a lot of the folks that I work with have this very, very deep fear um, around whether it's running out of money or, um, you know, not being able to take care of themselves. And so really getting clear on, well, where does this story come from can help us to start to realize that, oh, you know what, maybe it was true at one point, or maybe it was true for somebody, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true for me in this moment. So that brings me to a question that I'm, I don't know how common this is. That's what I'm testing with you. Um, And like I was mentioning before we went live, um, I have a family member whose big concern was not losing what she thought was not very much money. Um, And which, well, anyway, how we were raised, like I looked at that amount, I go, I could be a little nervous because I'd want more just for a cushion. I'm just like a little risk averse here. But, um, but then my husband looked at it and said, you're fine. Right. But to the point that there was that concern of running out and not then spending on yourself to enjoy the life that you have. Right. Right. So my question to you is, is that generational? Is that situational? How is that just an American thing? How common is that in your experience? So it's definitely common and it's common in different situations. I don't think it's just an American thing. So I know you're starting to ask that. And so my ex-husband is from Peru. um, And I will say that money was a big source of conflict for us. But I understand where it came from. And that was he grew up in a very impoverished area. And so there was a lot of fear around this possibility of not having, you know, and not having the basics, right? Because he knew that experience. Whereas I grew up in a suburb in, you know, the area of Cleveland, Ohio, I always had food on the table. Like I always knew that we were going to have a roof over, you know, the basics were always taken care of. Um, And so for anybody who has experienced that level of poverty, it is absolutely common um, to be concerned about getting back there, regardless of the amount of wealth that they have accumulated. Um, you know, it, I remember, you know, when my grandparents were alive, you know, they had lived through the depression and you see a lot of people in that generation um, who very, very concerned about a time when we won't be able to, you know, generate more income and we won't be able to do what we need to do to take care of the family. Um, and so making sure that, you know, and we see it a lot of folks who, um, you know, they'll they'll hide cash and they'll do different things to really feel like they're protecting themselves, right? Um, but it's absolutely very common for people who are coming out of a divorce in particular because, you know, they have been uh, with another person who together they were financially responsible, right? And now it's, okay, I'm on my own. Now I have to be fully financially responsible for myself. And especially, you know, divorce is very common Um, as people approach retirement. So as their their children get older and they approach retirement, and so they're really starting to think about paying for retirement. And at the age where it does feel a lot harder to either re-enter the workforce or to get promotions to get, you know, increased income in that way. Um, And so a lot of people walk out of that um, settlement with that mindset that this is the amount of money I have to live on for the rest of my life, and I have to make sure that it's going to last. Um, and that's a lot of pressure if you don't necessarily understand all of the dynamics at play when it comes to creating a financial plan, right? Um, if you're really hearing all of these headlines around inflation, and it's like, oh my gosh, what does that mean for my money, right? 
um, when you're hearing that interest rates are rising, well, what does that mean? You know, all of these different headlines, if you don't fully understand how that impacts your financial situation, all of these things can really trigger people who are very worried about being able to, you know, have that nest egg for the rest of their lives and or be able to leave the legacy that they want to leave, right? Um, which is also very important to a lot of people. Okay, I want to ask you this question. I don't have it written down, but I've been thinking about this because like you're saying, we hear all this stuff, you know, like, oh, and it's honestly, it's all gloom and doom. There's some upbeats, but they're little blips. Like, oh, there was a momentary gain. I'm thinking momentary, that's the wrong word to hear. But, <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, when we hear those things and we're not sure what they mean, if you got to be queen of the universe, which I'd actually be okay with you being queen, um, I would. You feel pretty competent to me. But what <laughs> would you, you Well, you do? I'm thinking, okay. And as a past teacher. <laughs> so tell me what you would do to help young people, women in particular, understand some of the basics like where would you start so that that language doesn't feel foreign or like you have to hand it off to someone else yeah and i really appreciate that you asked this and kind of the way that you asked it too because so there's a lot of times i will i go on social media and talk about this all the time because i think it is really important that people know the language are able to understand the concepts and don't overreact to some of the headlines that come out. And that's there's been a lot of that over this last year. Um, and it's just, it's not good for anybody, right? Um, and so a lot of people will respond that, oh, I wish they taught this stuff in school. And I wish that this was more of a focus in kind of basic education. And while I think some of the language in terms of like interest rates and understanding the basic vocabulary would be helpful to have more emphasis on that in school, I actually really think it's very important that parents be talking to their kids about money um, because while, um, yeah, there are like basic terminology and stuff, I think actually having an investment plan, a spending plan, a savings plan, charitable giving, it really comes down to values. And I think it's really important that that come from your parents and not from the school, right? Um, and so really creating that how do we talk about money in the family? Getting comfortable with that is really, really important. But I don't know that right now our parents feel educated enough in a lot of cases to have those conversations, right? Um, and even when we're talking you know, with folks who are talking to their adult children about their estate planning and money, that's a very, very uncomfortable conversation because they've never been talking about money. Like their whole lives, they've not been talking about money. And now we're trying to have these difficult family conversations. So I think it's really important that people start to have those conversations as early as possible at home um, and that your finances are like the, the, the decisions you're making around your finances are based in your values. Okay, so pretend I'm a parent of a kid. I'm going to say preteen. And I want to start having those conversations. What can I say? How can we start? So I happen to have a kid. <laughs> it's that I, figured you could, I figured you could use a personal example from one of your kids. I didn't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> Pretend you had children. Yeah? Um, yeah, so my kids are 11, 14, and 15. Um, of course, we have been having these conversations since, you know, they, they were very young. But um, if I think about the 11-year-old and specifically the things that we are talking about, 
Um, we're talking about, you know, if you want to buy something, you know, how do you go about that? If it's something big, how do you save for that? You know, if you have money coming in, you know, you're talking about before, take that 10%, right? So investing in your future self, the things that you want versus spending right now, right? Um, and so those are some of the things that we talk about, you know, especially for my 11 year old son, candy is a big draw, right? Um, and it's like, okay, so they're having some big, you know, candy thing or bake sale or whatever it is at school, you can take money in and you can spend that. But that also means that whatever you're saving for, um, and he's very into like cameras and iPads and like video editing. Kind All of those things. really low cost things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's fine. You spend it now, but that means that it's going to take longer to get to this place, you know, to be able to purchase what you want to purchase. And that's a conversation that we have pretty regularly, you know, and then we certainly have a savings account for him where that's really long-term. And we talk about, you know, there's going to be a time when you're going to move out of the house, right? Um, and what does that look like? What are the things that you're going to need to be able to get for yourself and why it's so important to have that long-term savings in addition to like a, a shorter term savings and then your everyday spending money. So does he enjoy those conversations? So he loves them. Um, and he's so funny. I was telling somebody the other day. So the kids, the ki the school that my kids go to does not have a lunch program. But on Fridays, they're able to get pizza. And he likes to actually use his money to buy the pizza for himself. He feels very proud that he can do that for himself. Um, but I was saying my daughter has no interest in buying the pizza for herself. She spends money like it is um, like it's on fire. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it resonates with him. I'm having a harder time getting rid of her. Is she older? She's older, right? She's These 14. Yeah, yeah, she's 14. Well, different, different phases in life. She's hearing you. Whether she's applying what she's hearing or not is another question. <laughs> I but, hope so. But that whole delayed piece is helpful. I remember being that age and um, younger than that. And my mom just said, let's open a bank account for you, man. And I said, and I had my own checkbook. Boy, I thought I was big stuff. <laughs> but the money that went in there that I put in there was my money. And I could do it what I wanted with it. Um, and it felt great. Yeah. You know, it felt, well, I, was, well, I was proud, just like your son, right? It didn't matter mm -hmm. what it was. I was proud that I could do that on my own behalf. And the nice thing specifically, when they have a savings account, now we're talking about, raise, you know, rising interest rates. Well, how does that impact your savings account? Oh, look, you know, you're earning more on your savings. So it, you know, when you're starting to use the systems that are out there, it really lends itself to having those conversations and building that vocabulary. Okay, so let's let's go to the older generation a bit. What are the most important steps someone can take to increase their financial confidence? Yeah, so this is a big one that is so important, especially if somebody is going through a big life change. Um, but in general, you know, it's easier certainly to focus on increasing your financial literacy when you're not going through something difficult. But I think it just really kind of rears its ugly head when you are. Um, and I think, you know, first and foremost, it comes down to really getting clear on where you are lacking confidence, right? So if I'm sitting here worried that I'm going to run out of money, you know, that is something that we can, as financial planners, that's something we can solve for. You know, we can look at the financial situation, the variables that should be considered in order to determine whether that is truly a risk or not, right? Um, and so for some people, it is literally the confidence is going to come from sitting down and creating that plan and having that clarity, right? Um, but for other people, that's not really where the, the confidence feels shaky. 
for some people, it's literally like, Sarah, you and I are having this conversation right now. But for some people, that is a very uncomfortable conversation to have, right? And it might be starting very small and just starting to have conversations about money. You know, I talk with women in particular who are post-divorce and starting to date again. Um, and then, you know, they might be looking to remarry in the future. And we talk a lot about how do we start to have those conversations about money, especially if money had been an issue in the first marriage and they don't want to go through that again, right? Um, and so starting out small and just, you know, very little ways of like, you know, what was money like when you were growing up? You know, what were the things that you were not asking somebody what their income was, not like going into the things that make people. How much am I going to make off of you if we stay together? (laughs) What are you worth? Um, What is your net worth right now? um, But sticking your toe in the water in places that feel more comfortable to open up that conversation, right? But if you are somebody who is really, really uncomfortable talking about money, starting with somebody who you already feel close to or comfortable with, and just having the little or like the smaller conversations just to open up that space, um, that can be a big needle mover for some people. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's just practice. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, OK, that was a little uncomfortable, but not that bad. And next time I could talk about this, I think I love that question. What was money like for you growing up? Right. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that there are people who are super comfortable talking about how much they make collect individually or in the family level and other people I'm among them. It's like, I don't like doing that in public because first of all, I don't like to make people feel sorry for me or like if they're super wealthy, they're going to go, Oh, poor child. (laughs) I'm joking. But honestly, I was raised that way. It's like, there's certain things you just don't, you don't need to be in other people's business about them unless you're invited in. Right. Right. But those are just different. And if you're with someone who's like, oh, let's do this and that and talk about it, um, it could be uncomfortable. So you're starting small is so great about like, what was money, you know, like for you growing up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a nice way to find out if there are going to be some uncomfortable conversations coming up because somebody can tell you like, we didn't talk about money. That is not, so, you know, it just opens the space up to start to have that dialogue. Yep. I know it's, it was liberating when I was struggling, I was younger and um, I was anyway, one of my roommates, super smart guy. I mean, like he could look at numbers and do like this. That's not what he did professionally, but he was fast. And I said, Oh, this is stressing me out. And he goes, would you mind if I looked? And I'm thinking, oh, kind of, <laughs> really? yeah, I'd kind of mind. And I go, okay, I have one thing. You can't tell me I'm stupid. He goes, I would never tell you you're stupid. Right. He looked, he goes, oh, this is so easy. Oh, you've got this handled. Give me 18 months. You're not going to see any of this debt. And I go, what do I have to do? And he goes, 18 months. You're not going to do it overnight. And it's going to feel painless, but you're going to do it. And you know, it was less than that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I had no debt and I've never carried it since. It's like, uh-uh. if you're not a mortgage, <laughs> we're not buying. You know? so, <laughs> because it feels good to know I can pay my bills. Right. Um, but I was in my 30s, you know, like the, the 30s were watershed years for me. <laughs> All my little mentors came in and out and said these little wise words of wisdom. Um, so we talked about, you know, the most important steps for increasing confidence. Um, before we end, I want to ask you how someone can go about finding the right financial planner for them. I can imagine people listening to this and saying, Lee is my gal, but what are the limitations for going across state line? 
Can you can you practice anywhere? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, the way that I am registered and, you know, different financial planners are registered in different ways. I am completely independent um, in terms of, you know, the work that I do, you know, we are, um, you know, a firm that is completely independent from any other firm. We are registered with certain states that allow us to have as many clients as we want in those particular states. Um, but for other states, we can have up to five clients in any given state. Um, and then we just have to register directly with that state. Um, and so, yeah, we work with people all over the country. I am based in Ohio. I have more clients in California than I do in Ohio. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's nice with people getting comfortable being online. Even people locally I'll meet with over Zoom. So um, it makes it a lot easier to do work with people all over. Um, but in terms of finding the right financial professional for you, you know, one of the big things that I do think is so important, Sarah, and it was something that you mentioned earlier on about how, you know, when you are sharing your financial information with somebody, you're sharing everything, right? Um, and really finding somebody that you're going to feel comfortable in that relationship to share everything. Because at the end of the day, that planner is only going to be able to, to give you the best possible advice if they have all of the information. Um, and so if you're not feeling comfortable, if you're not in working with somebody where you are sharing everything, you don't feel comfortable sharing everything, I would say that's definitely a sign that it, it's worth finding somebody else for sure. Um, but also really understanding the kind of relationship that you want to have with somebody, right? Uh, if you want them to manage your investments for you, um, that's one kind of a relationship. If you want to select your individual investments, that's going to be a different kind of a relationship, right? Um, we specifically offer comprehensive financial planning. So when we're working with somebody, we really want to be looking at the whole person, um, the whole picture, and um, making sure that we're advising on every financial aspect. So whether it's tax planning or it's, you know, risk management, income, you know, sometimes when I'm talking with people and I do that initial financial review, I'm like, hey, you are being significantly underpaid. We need to talk about this, you know, um, and so <laughs> I'm self-employed. <laughs> But I've been able to identify uh, some folks who were able to get significant increases and literally they just didn't realize how underpaid they were, right? Um, so we look at all of the financial aspects. That's the, the way that we work with somebody, right? But there might be you just want somebody to look at one particular thing for you. That's going to be a different kind of advisor um, that you would work with. The other thing to keep in mind is if you have, you know, unique specific needs. So um, my specialty is helping people through divorce. That's why, you know, I have that designation. I spend a lot of time doing continuing education, working with attorneys and mental health professionals to make sure that we're supporting people well in that particular area. Um, and so if you're going through a divorce, you really want somebody who has that specialty. Whereas if you are a business owner who is exiting your business, you might want to have somebody who that's their specialty, right? Um, and so similarly, to, you know, whether you're going to a general practitioner, you know, you have to sort of general, um, you know, checkup, or if you have very specific needs, you really do want to go with somebody who specializes in that particular area. Um, I specifically did the accredited financial counseling designation, because a lot of the folks that I work with really have a challenging relationship with money, whether it is those limiting beliefs, or maybe they were in a financially abusive situation in the past, or they literally just have gotten in their own way and they're ready to work with somebody and help them um, work through those things. And so for me, you know, it's really going to be people who want to 
to have these conversations and to dig deeper um, and to work through that stuff. You know, that's the folks that we really focus on. There are some people who don't want that. <laughs> you know, they just want the very bare minimum and move on. Um, and so that's going to be a different kind of advisor. But are you able to point people in the right directions if they call you guys and they say, and you say, oh, you know what really would benefit you is X. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the first conversation that we always have is just getting to know what are you looking for? You know, why are you reaching out now? Is there something going on in your life? Um, and from there, we can see, like, are we a good fit for you? Or if not, we have a wonderful professional network um, and can certainly share other resources as well. I'm going to tell you, this is so exciting for me. Um, <laughs> you would think it wouldn't be. It's tax season, you know, and all that stuff. But it's exciting because it's just part of life and being here and being responsible for yourself and your family and feeling good about yourself and not ashamed about yourself. And to know that you're there, you can connect people up. Um, we can all feel good, right? Absolutely. Wherever we are on the journey at the moment, you know. That's and, right. I have lived out of the back of a Volkswagen van for a while, <laughs> having been booted from a house. So, oh, life, it's interesting. You have a free gift for folks. Um, do. do you want to yeah. say something about that, Leah? Absolutely. Um, so if you're just looking for how do I get more in control of my money right now? Like, what can I do right now? Um, there's a webinar that we recorded. Uh, it's Plan for Financial Freedom, Six Things That You Can Do Today. Um, to really get in control of your finances. Um, and so, you know, it's 40 minutes, not too long, but it'll give you some very practical tips of things that you can start to do right now. And don't worry, folks, we'll have the link to that in the show notes, along with Leah's social media information and her website information. So Leah, as we're wrapping up today, would you share some words of wisdom that you have learned through your ups and downs that you want to leave our listeners with? Absolutely. So, um, oh, there's so much, right? I would say that um, the biggest thing is just to believe that you can get through whatever it is that you have going on in this moment, right? Um, and if you are specifically worried about the financial changes that you are experiencing, reach out, ask for help. Don't sit there and, you know, try to go it alone and feel stressed out and lose sleep. It's just not necessary. Um, like the the gentleman who gave you the advice, right, about getting out of debt in 18 months, sometimes having that other person who does this professionally, just take a look at your situation and give you some clarity and action steps, that can just feel so empowering. Uh, so don't hesitate to reach out. I couldn't echo a better sentiment. So with that, Leah, thank you so much for being a guest on the No Labels, No Limits podcast. Hey, you guys, if you've listened to this, I know for a fact someone's listening to it and going, oh, I feel so relieved. Please share this with someone else, either someone else who would feel the same way or who you know is going through something, but they're not wanting to share or talk about it. Let them listen to this. Maybe it'll lighten their load a little bit. We don't have to carry our burdens on our own shoulders. We've got others who are smarter, further ahead on the road or who can help us. So reach out and ask for help. Check out Leah's connections in the show notes um, and reach out to her. I mean, who wouldn't want to talk to Leah and her team? I mean, powerful. Leah, thanks so much for being a guest. Sarah, thank you. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. 
You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.